Welcome to Literary Friction. I'm Octavia Bright, still coming to you from my sitting room floor and beaming into cyberspace to meet my beloved friend and co-host, Ms. Carrie Plitt, who is in leafy Oxford. How are you, dear Carrie? Do you even exist in three dimensions anymore? That's my big question for you. Hi, Octavia. Um, I think I still exist in three dimensions, although it's hard to know these days, and I am just fine. I'm actually on my last day of a two-week quarantine today, and to be honest, going a little bit crazy. I uh, bet. I, you know, one always has all of these plans and excitements about how you're going to spend time confined in space and it was going pretty well uh until (laughs) recently when I sort of broke down um but it's almost over and I'm really looking forward to being able to walk outside and see other people I miss other people I miss you I miss you so much and so have you you been in the house the whole time basically yeah in the house and in the yard and thank Um, god you have a yard yes yeah but I didn't go outside for three days you just get like into these rhythms and the weather hasn't been all that great so I did realize that I hadn't been outside for three days and then um went outside at night and lay down in the grass which was actually very lovely that's a beautiful maybe the behavior of a crazy person (laughs) (laughs) Just rubbing your face against it, like my old friend. <laughs> How are you doing? I'm okay. I'm actually. I had a really lovely evening with some old old friends last night to celebrate the up, impending marriage of one of them, um, which has now been postponed for a couple of years. But they decided to do the the little celebration anyway. There were just four of us, and we were just yeah catching up, and it was it was wonderful to do that kind of socializing where like we were in someone's home and it almost felt normal you know almost Mm. just being Mm. together in that communal way and you know no one needed to be wearing a mask or anything like that so there was no cognitive dissonance basically we could just be there and they're women I've known since I was 11 which is kind of extraordinary so yeah it was lovely so today I'm feeling pretty nurtured and pretty good actually oh that's wonderful yeah it's nice it's a nice feeling (laughs) (laughs) but it just makes me wish that I could see you I don't know maybe I could walk to Oxford is that a crazy idea yes (laughs) but I think the trains are kind of okay now yeah maybe we should just chance it there's a place to swim isn't there yes although the weather has turned a little bit well I can suit up for that cold swim (laughs) long walk (laughs) I'll watch you yeah there we go she'll watch from the sidelines throwing (laughs) chunks of bread at me like a little like I'm a little swan anyway welcome everyone to the first minisode of our autumn season still not back to school back to school I don't know (laughs) I'm really starting to miss being in the studio though I have to admit it's nice to record in my pajamas from time to time and by pajamas obviously I mean full black tie gown and elbow length gloves which is what I wear at home Carrie yes can confirm Octavia currently in a full length gown that's right (laughs) (laughs) but whether you're new to the show or an old hand welcome thanks for tuning in the format for these minisodes between full shows is for the next half hour ish we'll first have an informal conversation about something book related and anything else that might come up and then recommend some other cultural things that we've enjoyed lately with the usual musical interludes chosen by eddie that's right and today's minisode is dedicated to the cozy pleasure of being read to we're going to get into audiobooks, talk all things oral pleasure and displeasure, and finally give a few of the usual recommendations of things we've been into lately. So stay tuned. 
something She belongs to me Her body's got to sit out of There's a chill in the air and soon it will be the perfect climate for taking brisk walks in parks or just round the block for your government mandated hour of exercise should we find ourselves in another dreaded lockdown. Either way, the perfect conditions for listening to books. During lockdown, loads of people talked about how hard they were finding it to concentrate on reading, us included. And I just wondered if it saw a resurgence of the audiobook because I found it a really necessary and helpful way back in. I can actually answer that question, um, which is that there was not a resurgence of audiobooks, as a lot of people what? expected. There was a huge rise in ebooks, but not in audiobooks. And what they think is that a lot of people were listening to audiobooks on their commute. So the numbers probably went up for people who didn't usually listen to audiobooks, but those people who listened to audiobooks were, while they commuted weren't listening to them anymore. God. First of all, love it when you have the insider info. <laughs> That's really interesting. Yeah. No, surprising to me too. And and apparently it's similar with podcasts. Yeah, that they didn't. They're such a big part of, yeah. of those listening habits. Wow. Yeah, I mean, I guess they are. It is something that people tend to do alone, isn't it? Like you don't necessarily put one on to listen together. But what about like all the cleaning? I mean, that's the only thing that makes it tolerable for me. <laughs> I completely agree. But also, I mean, it's not just when I'm doing housework, actually. I do also love to put an audiobook on and just lie down or be walking because there's something I find so magical about being read to it's just I don't know it's it can feel like such an act of tenderness um and I think it can be a really intimate and very personal experience I guess you know for me it's partly related to the fact that I had parents who read to me as a child I think that the associations with being safe and small and you know the responsibility for the storytelling is on someone else so maybe if you're a person who had who grew up in an environment where you were being read to that's part of the connection for you what do you think yeah well I definitely associate audiobooks with childhood and it's partially because we used to get those huge kind of wallets books on tape for them. our car trip for our and younger listeners <laughs> you do not remember <laughs> the cassette tape <laughs> holy hell those things had like 25 cassettes in them yeah and you'd get them out of the library because nobody could afford to actually buy the the whole package yeah. so when my parents were going to take us on a big car trip we'd all go to the library and pick out a book on tape together and listen to it in the car and it was it was a wonderful thing to share those books. I mean, my poor parents having to listen to children's books. But actually, I don't think they were poor at all because the one that I remember listening to vividly is Roald Dahl, yeah. The Witches. Oh my God, and yes. <laughs> yeah. the, the narrator did the most kind of bizarre, amazing voices that are still in my head. I, I remember, and I remember the voices from that that audiobook so much more vividly than any of the images from the movie they made. I remember the movie very vividly too because I was so scared by it. It was very frightening. Yeah, I found I had the book very frightening. Nightmares, but yeah, uh, book less so for me. Yeah, interesting. I found that the the witches that I made up in my imagination scared the living bejesus out of me. And when I saw them in the movie, I was like, okay, scary, but like a little bit less scary than my <laughs> than my version. But to, I'm with you on the long car trips. 
I don't know, the car can be such a site of like tension and trauma in families, I think, when like stressed parents and bored children and like fighting and everything. And then it totally turns on its axis if you're able to make it a shared experience um, of your all being transported by this one thing. And like, how often do you get to do that as a family to like share the experience of a book together? It's normally one parent and one child or two children if there's a bigger family, right? But Mm. for both parents to be there with you and to have that experience of a kind of unit like that, it's quite rare. Um, And I think that like, I mean, I don't know, I don't have children, but I can imagine I would find it a lot easier to listen to like a greatly, a really brilliantly told children's story five times over than watching the Frozen movie five times over, for example, which seems to be the fate of all of my friends who are parents. <laughs> I also like, I think I've mentioned this on the show before, but my family, my parents and I, because I'm their only child, um, we used to do regular longish drives down to Somerset from London to stay with my uncle. And my parents decided that Thomas Hardy's Tess of the D'Urbervilles was going to be like a great choice to keep us company on these drives. And, uh, you know, fine, it's a great book, but like it definitely has some pretty adult themes for a young girl of five or six. Um, and I remember so vividly, we had this version of it that was read by, I think he's an actor called Martin Jarvis, who did a lot of audio books. And he's got this really wonderful, very familiar voice. If you listen to a lot of audiobooks from that kind of period, I guess, recorded in like the 80s and 90s. And um, I remember I drifted off to sleep on the back seat, you know, and had like a pillow and everything. And we were driving. We've been driving for like an hour and a half or something. I'd fallen asleep and I woke up during the scene. There's this really traumatic scene where a horse gets run through by a part of a cart. And it's incredibly vividly described and it's incredibly violent and bloody. And this poor horse is in absolute agony. And we were driving past Stonehenge at the time. (laughs) And I like started wailing and just had this, it was this kind of, really dramatic experience basically and um I never really forgave my parents for it (laughs) (laughs) I mean we still finished the book over the next couple of months but it's I really I was I remember that feeling of like how could you do this to me I was sleeping and now (laughs) yeah I feel like that's a common theme of some of your childhood stories is like your parents (laughs) introducing you to things that were way too adult for you a classic of the the genre yeah yeah (laughs) bless them also this is a huge tangent but it still amazes me that you can just drive past Stonehenge because we we drive past a lot to go to um Eddie's parents' house. And it's like every time it's amazing. It's extraordinary. It's just Stonehenge yeah. on a hill next to you on this tiny two-way highway. I know. Do you know what will blow your mind is when I was a kid, you used to be able to go right up to the stones, no problem. I know. And there was none of that weird visitor center and all that stuff that they've done now. And when my mom, who grew up in Somerset, and um, when she was a student, she went to university in Bristol for a bit. And they used to go for the solstice and just like have like, a hippie party under the stones no questions asked you know druids around and everything but like why do we we can't have nice things i swear yeah we ruin everything we can't can't. but stonehenge is truly awesome i will stand by stonehenge oh my god me too it's like and and when you see it you you understand it more because it's just in the middle of nowhere on this hill and it emerges as you come up the hill how did they put the stones i don't know I love it. Yeah, it's mind blowing. It okay, is. Okay, we should talk about audiobooks. I'm sorry. No, no, let's talk more about the henge. <laughs> I would like to go and sit in the henge and listen to like 
a mystical audiobook, like Alan yeah. Watts reading his like psychedelic philosophy. That would be a fabulous experience. So anyway, back on track, babes. My first question to you is, Carrie Plitt, do you listen to audiobooks? To be honest, not really. Oh my god, get out. I just don't. What I, know, I know. I know. You call yourself a reader? I, I'm a little embarrassed to even be part of this conversation because I'm not sure how much I can add as not really a listener of audiobooks. I mean, I did used to listen to them more as a kid, as mentioned. I love podcasts. I listen to podcasts all the time. I love reading. And so I've always been slightly confused as to why I haven't got into audiobooks now that they're so easy to access and listen to anywhere. I think part of the issue is focus, honestly. My mind just wanders and I constantly lose track of what's going on when it's just one person reading a book to me. And I think I've been thinking about the difference between audiobooks and podcasts, and I think it's partially that an audiobook really is one person reading a story, whereas a podcast is usually a conversation of some kind or an interview, and I can just latch onto that and follow that much easier in my brain. Um, they also tend to have more interventions, don't they? Like musical beds and like they're, they're more um, multi-layered and animated as like a sound product and there's more texture, which I think allows for that you know, you can drift and there's things to bring you back. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Whereas I just find like, I'll miss a whole chapter because I'll be thinking about something else entirely. And then I have to go back and it's like, and I don't know what's happening. And also I just don't retain as much of the information. I, I don't remember books as well when I've listened to them versus when I've read them. So I don't seek them out all too often. Yeah. How how about you? I do, but I mean, I get what you're saying. I think basically that thing about like whether you retain one or not, it's to do with the quality of your reading because I can, I actually find it can, it can be the same for me if I'm reading with my eyes, if I'm not paying attention and I can be reading a book very fast for work or for God knows what else um, and not engaging very deeply in the same way that I can choose to pay really active attention listening Mm -hmm. and read much more deeply that way. So I think it's like if you think of audiobooks only as something that you have on in the background while you're doing other things then of course you're not going to absorb all the information but if you actually practice active listening like one of the things I love to do I haven't done this for ages actually but when I was living on my own ages ago I would put an audiobook on and do some like drawing or painting kind of as a meditative practice and that was incredible because there was the potential to have this very active listening experience while engaging my hands and my kind of another part of my psyche at the same time. And I realized the reason I love doing that is because when I was at school, I used to doodle all the time when I was listening in class. And it actually was a, a tool that helped me concentrate because I found it so hard to actually just sit still. I don't know, I had a, a, like an overactive kind of mind, I guess. Like I just couldn't, couldn't think in a straight line in that way. Fascinating. Yeah, but if I listen if I stick an audiobook on while I'm doing the housework, for example, um, I tend to miss big chunks of it too. But I give myself over to that practice and don't worry too much, I think, basically. Yes. And maybe I just need to stop worrying so much. I I think it also has something to do that I, I really am terrible at skimming or reading books quickly. I I can't, I haven't figured out how to skip over information in books and novels. And so maybe I'm just not as used to that. Yeah. Well, it's something that I think you just free yourself up that like the reading process doesn't have to be as linear as we all 
always think it does. Do you know what I mean? Like, and yeah. we've talked about the pleasure of rereading before. And even if I've read a book very deeply and connectedly and paid a lot of attention to it, when I come back to read it a second time, if I do, I'll find different things in it. It's just part of the process. So if you can kind of think of that as a loosening up in a way, like, mm. yeah, I think a lot of it is also a kind of guilt about not engaging with every single word that I know the author has spent so much time crafting and making sure is like perfectly placed within a sentence and to kind of skim over it or just miss whole chunks of the novel makes me feel somehow that I'm not engaging with it lovingly enough as the book itself was constructed that's I mean think that's that's interesting and fair but I think that there are plenty of people who read the physical object of the book in a way that is not very paying like paying that kind of close attention you know I think you're probably a more diligent reader than a lot of people are which is like just as well. (laughs) (laughs) But you know, the other thing, actually, I didn't listen to audiobooks for ages and the thing that got me back into them and long-time listeners of the show might remember this, I got really into Book at Bedtime on the BBC. Mm. And it was, again, it was something that really came about when I was living alone and I lived by myself for quite a number of years. Um, And it was like, you know how sometimes it's easier to stick on the TV and just watch whatever's thrown at you than it is to like choose a program on Netflix. And sometimes that like the paralysis of choice can be really overwhelming. And that was the thing I loved about book at bedtime. I had a lot of books on my shelves, but sometimes there was this paralysis of choice or like to choose an audiobook to download felt like I would, I would be paralyzed. And the thing about book at bedtime that was so nice was that I could just stick it on, try something because they, the episodes were in like 15 minute chunks and they are all abridged. So it's more like, you know, you you see if you like the flavor of something and then you can seek it out in its full form. But I loved it. It was a really, it felt like a really inclusive, quite eclectic way to get into reading. And they, some of their choices were absolutely abysmal and some of them were really fantastic and they would get great actors to read them. And it was just, I got into this really lovely practice where there were certain um, things I would do while I listened to the 15 minute chunk and it just it ha- it yeah it was like company I guess and I haven't listened to it for a long time and since I've been living with other people again it feels like you know it feels like something that we don't do together like we're mm-hmm. gonna cluster around the old wireless and sit down and listen to a show you know like I mean my my partner and I do listen to podcasts together sometimes but it feels like taking on an audiobook you know they're sometimes what like 15 16 hours it's a lot yeah, and the one time that we have done that was in the car when we were doing a long road trip. And that that's the thing. I mean, I, I've been in the car a lot more now that we've moved to Oxford. And that is actually a wonderful time to share audio, whether it's podcasts. We listened to the one audiobook that I have listened to recently is they did a whole a full cast recording of his the his Dark Materials. <gasps> I trilogy. love that. Yeah. It's so good. It's My mom so recommended good. it to oh. me. And and we listened to the full thing during this car ride, which especially for book three was quite an undertaking. Oh my God, so but emotional. it was amazing. And You're it not was just weeping. Uh no. Oh <laughs> Carrie's so brutal. Eddie did fall asleep a lot during it. And, and he'd wake up again and I'd still be driving. And he'd be like, What happened? I'd be like, Okay, I'm gonna need to pause this because yeah. We've been through a lot. Quite um, a lot of stuff, actually. <laughs> but no, it's amazing. And I think maybe because it was casted, I it, it brought it to life much more stimulatingly. Right. Um, and I mean, some of the casting choices are a little bit 
questionable, but oh, yeah. most of them are just delightful. And Philip Pullman himself narrates it. And it it's just great. And I do think because it's so plot heavy and because it's middle grade, so it's not really complicated in terms of the language, it lends itself really well to that medium. Yeah, definitely. Well, I guess that brings on like my next question, which is just like, are there kind certain kinds of books you're drawn to to listen to rather than read in a more traditional way? And are there any kinds of books that you definitely wouldn't want to listen to? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I I do think th- that what I just said, when I have picked out audiobooks and enjoyed them, the ones that have been easier for me to listen to and more enjoyable for me to listen to were the kind of more plot heavy novels. I listened when we were moving house, I listened to All the Light We Cannot See, which is a big novel. It was a, a number of hours um, of packing boxes but it was great because it's it's a really plotty kind of historical novel set during the second world war it alternates each chapter between these two voices and um, it was pretty easy to follow but also really just absorbing and engaging I think maybe I love as you know literary fiction that has I almost said literary friction I can't say literary <laughs> fiction anymore which is really bad for my job so great um, <laughs> Um, that maybe is a little bit more focused on mood or language. Like, for instance, I I loved Rachel Cusk's Outline Trilogy, but I don't think I would have wanted to listen to those audiobooks. What what do you think? Yeah, I agree. I mean, I find myself drawn to certain things and not to others. Like, I recently listened to um, Taffy Brodus Ackner's book, Fleischman is in Trouble, which actually I wasn't that compelled to read in book form at all but I had a bunch of stuff to do recently and I was like I feel like I'm interested I think she's an interesting writer and I feel like that's a really good pitch for what I'm looking for which is kind of conversational contemporary fiction but it's not super demanding it's not um it's not like formally complex or any of that and it was read by this brilliant um quite bizarre it was she, she read it in quite a bizarre way it was like very um very lilty, very, very performative. And at first I was listening to it and I was like, okay, lady, this is a decision. Um, And then I got completely drawn into it. And actually, I think because the prose was quite flat, actually, I mean, it's very well written and it's a completely smooth experience to listen to it because she's a very, very talented writer and it's um, realism, contemporary realism, I guess. To have an actor read it in a way that imbued every sentence with a lot of like waveforms, I guess, in my mind, I was imagining it as like this lilting kind of shape was a good thing for hooking your attention back in and stopping Mm -hmm. it from feeling too flat because it's a lot of like internal thought process for these characters. Yeah, I kind of had a similar experience. I felt like I needed to read Girl on the Train, Girl on a Train. I can't even remember. Anyway, everyone was reading it and not being snobby, but psych suspense just isn't my genre. I don't really enjoy it, but I felt like I needed to kind of understand it. And that was a great selection for audio because I could listen to it a little bit more passively. And because it's so plotty, it meant that it was pretty easy to follow what was going on. I'm also really drawn to very plotty things. And we've talked before about guilty pleasures, right? So-called guilty pleasures and how they shouldn't really be considered guilty because that's all to do with literary snobbery, which is the absolute worst. But there are books, the kind of books that, that I go to for like pure pleasure and like 
not much intellectual engagement tend to be crime crime fiction and thrillers that's really pacey it can help me get out the door of myself essentially and I find it helpful like I started doing this couch to 5k thing and I found it really helpful to get me out the door and going for these runs to actually be like what's gonna happen next you know like to have yeah, a yeah, book yeah. to listen to that's really like suspenseful but the flip side of that is that those are books that can have sometimes you find them having a lot of violence in or a lot of like very badly written sex for example both of which are things that I find vastly more offensive in audio format than on the page I think because mm. on the page if I get to like a badly written sex scene I just skip it I just let my eyes move through it and don't take it on but when you have some actor like very um passionately describing some like <laughs> gender bad gender politics like undressing scene in your ear it's it's very offensive and also actually I think I'm just getting soft and and as I get older but um the violence like I was listening to uh I can't remember the name of it but do you remember the Elizabeth Salander trilogy um oh girl with the dragon girl with the dragon tattoo and the others so some other authors have written another one in the in the series because obviously what was his name? Steve Larson. Steve Larson died. And uh, I was curious. So I started listening to it. And of course, it's written in the same style, which is incredibly pacey and very, very, like, you're immediately in this like chaotic action. But they are very violent books. And there was this scene that was so violent. I was just like, I'm not actually up for this in this format. Maybe I would be in reading it, but it, oh, it just felt very invasive, you know? I like how sensitive you are. <laughs> <laughs> I mean it's lucky <laughs> no it's just you're very affected by things it's wonderful it's 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 good sometimes it's difficult sometimes too yeah, yeah. but I do think like there is that intimacy in listening don't you I mean and that's yeah. why sometimes you could listen to an audiobook and the voice could just put you the fuck off have you oh, ever had that yeah definitely I mean all the light we cannot see I got used to the narrator's voice but it was like this very stuffy British woman like, well, kind of like... <laughs> <laughs> but it, it it just was not appealing like I did I, I was like why is this woman reading this story to me it didn't make any sense to me yeah. um and and the flip side there are some wonderful narrators I mean I I read a really fun article the other day, which I would recommend by the author Scott Spencer in LitHub about how much he enjoys listening to the actress Juliet Stevenson read classic literature. Oh my um, God, she's got such a great voice. Yeah, and she's kind of developed this second career as an audiobook narrator and has done things like Middlemarch and I think some Jane Austen as well. And um, he talks a bit in the article about her process. And I loved learning that when she reads a book in preparation for recording the audiobook, she casts each character as somebody she knows in her life. Isn't that wonderful? That is so great. How do you feel about, like, you hear quite a lot of people saying audio, listening to an audiobook is not really reading. How do you feel about that? I, I don't think that's true, is it? I mean, it's a it's a slightly different kind of experience, but I would never think that somebody hadn't read a book if they'd listened to it. Yeah, same. It's also, you know, as everyone becomes more aware of their various prejudices, it's such an ableist thing to say. And like yeah. that's the other thing that's amazing about about how many audiobooks there are now and how easily available they are for anyone who's partially sighted or blind to be able to have access to all of that literature is amazing so important yeah. and also actually all my friends who've got babies and I mean there do seem to just be so many new babies in my life at the moment and all of their parents like 
audiobooks are the only way that they can read now when they put the baby for a nap in the pram and take it out for a walk. And it's life-saving for them, you know? It's something that you hear so often with new parents that they suddenly haven't been able to read a book for two years because they can't have that time. Um, so thank God, you know? Yeah, it just opens up your ability to read a book. And thank God it's more available. I always just feel so terrible. When I was in seventh grade as a service project, I recorded an audiobook of The Hobbit for kids in the hospital. But can you imagine listening to 13-year-old me narrate The Hobbit? It was I'm sure it was terrible. And I had to do it on a tape. Get me that audio. That I that I would have to like rewind if I made a mistake. Oh my god. Get so me bad. that audio. Carrie. I don't have it. I Christmas don't have it. Special literary friction Christmas barrel. <laughs> Christmas special. I can't even talk. I'm so excited at this idea. Eleven year old Carrie Plitt reading The Hobbit. I want it. That's so adorable. Yeah. But actually that brings me to my next question. What do you think about authors reading their own work? I feel mixed about it. I mean, I think it's a very exciting prospect, isn't it? To not only be able to read somebody's work, but interpret it in the way that they themselves would interpret it in voice. Um, at the same time, I think reading is a very different skill from writing. And a lot of authors really shouldn't record them. <laughs> So and I think many have been ruined by um, an overzealous author recording them themselves. Yeah, it's tricky. Shall not name names. No, never. It, it can be pretty hit, hit or miss. But it's great when, I think it's especially great when it's like a memoir or autofiction, right? It's like, yeah. it's a really exciting thing to have this proximity. Whereas if it's not that close to the author's experience I don't feel I gain much necessarily unless it's like I mean it's wonderful to hear someone like Dylan Thomas read Under Milkwood because the poetry and the sound of the poetry is so much like a part of experiencing it um I'm trying to think if I've ever heard an author reading their own work on audiobook and found it terrible and I haven't actually notably like um, they usually do. I used to sell audio rights and often if they haven't done a lot of reading aloud, they have to do a test first. So there are controls for that. Um, <laughs> there are controls. I mean, one of my favorites was, and I know I've said this on the show before, but was listening to Patti Smith reading Just Kids herself because it's just, it's a memoir that's so also so internal and so kind of her that hearing her read it was, yeah, wonderful, really wonderful. Yeah, and I think it can be difficult actually to listen to something written in the first person that's not read by the person who wrote it. Yeah, um, jarring. That's a strange jarring experience. Definitely. But I think also the thing with Patty is obviously she's a performer. So she's like, she's a pro already at that side of things. Well, there we go. That was us talking about audiobooks. I think we've uh, we've nailed it. Authors think twice before you read your own work. No, 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 no. Teasing. Anyway, we'll be back in a minute with our cultural recommendations.
Hello again, I'm Octavia Bright back here with Carrie Plitt to give you our cultural recommendations of some stuff we've done recently that isn't reading. I think it's mostly television um, <laughs> that we've enjoyed lately. So Carrie, tell me, what have you been consuming? Well, the thing that I have consumed that I loved the most since we last recorded a minisode is definitely Watchmen, the TV series. Amazing. No, and I always wanted to, and then it was one oh, of those things that I just didn't. I think you have to see it. Okay. I think you would love it. And this is a, a late endorsement. It came out last year, um, but I only just watched it, and it's so good. I consumed it. I looked forward to it every night, watching it after work. I watched some of the episodes again <gasps> immediately, and they held up. And it's one of those shows that you kind of do want to rewatch it as soon as it ends because of all of the things that are seated from the beginning. And I will say, I say this as someone who really doesn't like superhero movies. I, I'm just not that interested in them and not interested in like comics or superheroes in general. Had never read Watchmen, hadn't watched the movie, knew almost nothing about the franchise besides there being a large blue man called Dr. Manhattan. <laughs> but I really, I don't think you need to understand the lore to be able to watch the show because they kind of explain everything and it was really fun for me actually to then go back and read about the characters because I saw even how much deeper it was than I had understood while I was watching the show amazing but also what is brilliant about it is they take this material and just make it its own story which is a, in a kind of alternative universe of the Watchmen series where America won the Vietnam War and sort of there are all these vigilantes but it's um, in the present day in this alternative earth um, and it's set mostly in Tulsa in the aftermath of the race massacre that happened there in 1921 wow. and they make it this amazing commentary on race in America that is just completely mind-blowing and revelatory and manages to be this like intensely political series while still being fun and interesting and like having superheroes in it and it and it somehow works and I I loved it Regina King is the kind of lead role and she's amazing and the music is also really great it's the guys behind Nine Inch Nails love that and it's really disturbing mm -hmm. and kind of like sexy and feels very present in this way that slaps you in the face and um yeah i loved it oh it sounds amazing it's so good it sounds like and then i got my great. parents to watch it too and they loved it okay so all right. it's like for the whole family where is it available <laughs> it's on so it was an hbo show and it's on now tv which i recently caved okay so i think to i'm gonna have to cave to. for that because there's some yeah. stuff on there i want to see the sopranos is on there which is why i originally got it but right we've been watching that on amazon prime and just paying for the episodes Get now TV, babe. All right. I want to um, how about you, Octavia? Well, TV-wise, I really enjoyed a show called Harlots, which was on the BBC. And I not, it must have come out ages ago because they've made a load of series, but I missed it. And I was kind of casting around for something I kind of like frothy and a bit fun to watch. And it's brilliant, actually. It's like, it's really gorgeous looking. It's set in 1763 London. 
And it's inspired by a book called The Covent Garden Ladies by British historian Hayley Rubinhold. Um, and the series focuses on a character called Margaret Wells, who's played by Samantha Morton, who is just a fabulous actor, a really fantastic screen presence. And she is uh, she's like a madame of a brothel in this 18th century London. And she's trying to secure a better future for her daughters, one of whom is played by the actor, I can't remember her name, who played um, the naughty daughter in Downton Abbey. Um, Jessica Finley, I think is her name. She's cracking in this. She's really great. And there's like a rival madame and a rival brothel, Lydia Quigley. Um, And then there's this kind of morality movement happening. So there's religious evangelists turn up and demand the closure of brothels and the police like raiding them all the time. And it's kind of about, you know, this woman's determination to improve her life, but the fact that the only way she can improve her life is by pimping out her own daughters and all these other young women. And it's all set in Soho. So they've got these amazing sets of what Soho would have looked like in the 18th century. And then the costume department were obviously just given free reign to go completely nuts and design these extraordinary dresses of like these brightly colored silks. And it looks, it, it's like delicious to look at, you know, a bit, it's 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 kind of bawdier and brighter than um, Sofia Coppola's Marie Antoinette or um, the recent version of Emma, but it's in that vein, you know? And like, mm, I think mm. the the little girl inside me who like loved all those dresses when I was little was just, is just so pleased by the whole thing just absolutely thrilled and the stockings and the little uh, silk slippers and there's a lot of really trash men in it who are kind of great just being <laughs> trash and getting their comeuppance in all these different ways um so yeah it's just i don't know it's a really it was kind of um and the episodes are quite short so it's just a nice thing to take you completely out of your present mindset basically I have never heard of that, but it sounds really fun. Yeah, it's super fun. It's just, it's it's fun. It's not, it's not like a deeply intellectual piece of work, but it doesn't need to be because it's not what it's trying to do. And the soundtrack is great. They have like some real rock and roll music while these women are like storming around 18th century Soho and like trying not to step <laughs> in horse shit and like dealing with corrupt police officers and you know, the whole thing. It's good. What's next for you? An old movie that I watched recently is Terrence Malick's Days of Heaven. He is such a talent. I haven't seen that one, but his cinema is just next level. So I hadn't seen any Terrence Malick. Um, This movie was made in 1978 and I decided to watch it because they talked about it on the Slate Culture Gab Fest, which is a podcast that I listen to and love. But it's the story of a pair of lovers who come to Texas in the early 1900s to harvest wheat and their kind of entanglement with the wealthy farmer who lives there. And as you say, it's just, it's one of the more beautiful films I've seen in a long time. The film was actually notoriously late and over budget because he insisted on filming most of the scenes during golden hour. So like they had this 20 minute window every day to get the shots, but they are just stunning i mean you could you could almost watch the film without any dialogue and in fact most of the dialogue is voiceover anyway um and but it's this like overwhelming experience of nature is that the word i don't know um the, the story feels like a parable and the stunning cinematography makes it feel more epic and it just feels like it's it's capturing something much larger than the one human story that it follows it's it's incredible that's always his jam he is yeah his work 
blows you away. If you ever get the opportunity to see any of his films on the cinema screen, if we're ever allowed back into cinemas, but they're quite often art house cinemas will do like Malik seasons and mm. it's so worth it. It will, it because exactly because of the hyper visual quality of his work, mm. it is mind blowing if you get the chance. Yeah. I've Amazing. not seen that one though. I'd really love to. You should see it. Um, and Richard Gere is super hot. Now. Oh my God. Such a long-standing crush yeah. on that man. <laughs> <laughs> Another beautiful thing in that film. How about you? What's your next recommendation? My next and final recommendation is uh, an episode of a podcast. So the cut podcast is back, which I was really happy to see because I used to really enjoy listening to it. It's just a good tone and it's, you know, funny, interesting, usually women journalists having conversations about stuff. Um, but it's back and there was one episode in particular that really uh just brought me a lot of joy called the joy of sext um, oh i heard that did yeah. you listen yeah. it's really <laughs> it's so great. great so the the podcast got a new presenter called avery truffleman who's brilliant um and this episode is oh my god it's all about like obviously the rise of sexting as something that people are having to do more of because of isolation in covid times um and the question of like how do you do good sexting you know, like if you're sending nudes, what makes a dick pic a nude? Is there a difference? Um, and they have this hilarious conversation about the the whole situation with dick pics and how like some dudes really understand that, you know, a beautifully set up, carefully considered dick pic can be like a, a gorgeous thing to receive with consent first. Um, and other guys just seem to think that they can just like take a snap of their penis in their boxes from above and just like send it without asking first and it's just I don't know how did you find it like they were so funny about it yeah it was well I liked that it was taking nudes seriously yeah. I hadn't encountered something that had done that and it was really fun while still being quite rigorous yeah and it's evaluation of of what nude means and what sexting is and what can be exciting about sexting and what can be kind of invasive about sexting and yeah it was it was the kind of perfect little confection yeah I loved it yeah it was really great and I listened to it with my partner who's a man and afterwards was was like do you you know do your friends ever talk about this stuff like do you know if any of your friends have ever male friends have ever sent a dick pic basically and he was absolutely scandalized <laughs> <laughs> but I realized that again it's just one of those that that whole axis between like the way that straight women talk about sex and the way that straight men probably don't talk about sex with anyone apart from the person they're having sex with and it's so sad yeah know? if only they consulted each other about how to take good dick pics i listen been saved a lot of time we would have been saved and a lot of time <laughs> and we would have had a much more pleasurable experience of the world i agree i agree mandatory that it should be part of sex ed at school how to take a good yeah. dick pic <laughs> Also, Avery Truffleman has the most astonishing voice. Oh, it's great. It's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Low and like resonant. Mm. So good. Anyway, hit me with your last recommendation. Oh, just a very short recommend and stupid recommendation. I told my sister I was going to recommend this and she said it was a bad <laughs> idea. <laughs> but I'm going to do it anyway. Which what is, is it? It's making my own popcorn on the stove. Oh, sweetie. Do you ever do this? Such a nerd. <laughs> <laughs> no, because listen, I think a lot of people love popcorn, but don't understand how much better it is when you make it yourself on the stove and it's so easy and all you need to do is buy popcorn kernels put a little oil in the pan wait for it to heat up put the kernels in cover the pan that's all and then you can choose your own toppings and I have really been enjoying parmesan cheese grated on 
my homemade popcorn right now. That sounds very luxy and good. I yeah. so, Listen, I tease you, but because I just, it's not a thing I ever would think to do. But when I was living with some friends a little while ago, my friend Moriarty was the king of homemade popcorn. And it was his favorite thing to pick a nice movie. He'd make a big bowl of popcorn. And then this genius thing, he would put, you know, those chocolate um, things called minstrels yeah but in a little packet he would put the minstrels in the freshly made popcorn and because the popcorn was warm it would make the minstrels kind of melt a bit oh wow but they're, they're covered in a sugar casing so they wouldn't completely come apart but then when you put the minstrel in your mouth with the salty popcorn you would get this like incredible like it was very very nice it was a very nice experience Wow, he sounds like he's one level up for me on the popcorn. Game. I think he That's might be. Saying. I mean, he knows. Yeah, what maybe I'm being away. really presumptuous by even recommending this. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a thing. And actually, let me tell you, again, I, I take back the tease. At the beginning of lockdown, I was in a supermarket, pranging out, just being like, what the fuck do I even want to eat ever? Like, what do I do? And in a daze, reached for some popcorn kernels. And I have them in my cupboard. And I've never done anything with them, them. So honestly maybe... it gives me so much pleasure i think popcorn is one of the best things it's ever. a joyful food it is yeah a really joyful food last question on the popcorn front yes salty sweet both yeah well when i make it at home i usually make it just salty or some variation of salty i sometimes put like chili powder on and dill and things like that i do love a good kettle corn though. i mean you know i have a massive sweet tooth so it's hard to make your own kettle corn unless you like do something with the sugar and I'm too lazy to do that but oh yeah when I go to the cinema I get um that's the other thing is um movie theaters in America don't serve sweet popcorn and that was like the biggest revelation when I came to England when they were like sweet or salty and then I realized you could mix them uh, together the mix is the best so that's me. what I do now that's yeah. the money shot yeah yeah Ugh. yeah so to all our American listeners you're missing out <laughs> on many things <laughs> wonderful well thank you everyone we will be back in a couple of weeks with a really exciting full show and guest and until then this is octavia bright with carrie plitt on literary friction bye